0: Today on Turnout, Carly welcomes in Jessica Redmond of Benchmark Sport Horses. So we're talking all about the off-track thoroughbred, buying, selling, what to do, what never to do. Uh, If you're interested in thoroughbreds and off-track thoroughbreds, you will definitely want to listen to this one. Next on the show is Sarah Hepler, fellow equestrian and thoroughbred advocate. We're going to talk about overcoming some pretty tremendous hurdles um, on the path towards success. Um, also bullying in the show world, all kinds of other important information. So great show today. We appreciate you listening. Probably have a great show today, but we do have to pay a little bill, but it's something that you actually use. It's not like you're just endorsing some random product that you've never seen before. <laughs> uh, and it actually took a lot of uh, hand-wringing to get you to try it, because I know you are not a, well, you're a scientist, so you are, by nature, skeptical, <laughs> which is great, but you were, you know, you've never really been a supplement person, and I can understand that. Um, but you've had good results so far with uh, your Equithrive.
1: Yeah, so I am definitely a skeptic, but more so, I'm a just a minimalist. Like we, where I keep my three and a half horses, um, we have it's considered full care, but it's not anything intensive, and so it just takes a lot of effort to get supplements fed, uh, which was the primary reason. But I tried it, and for a variety of reasons with a variety of products, I just kind of love it. I have. Um, I have one of my horses, Bodie, who actually has a fractured Fetlock, uh, or actually lower than Fetlock, a fractured P1 on the joint supplement, just the regular joint supplement, Uh, and he's doing amazing. He's gone from almost three-legged lame to serviceably sound. Uh, But then I also have my big competition horse, Mac, on the joint supplement as well as the hoof supplement. Uh, He's got some pretty crappy, crumbly, thin-soled feet. Love it. We actually just took him out of the McLean pads and put him into just rim pads. So I think it's really helped his feet. And then all of them are on the gut supplement. I am a huge, huge fan of probiotics. And that was kind of probably my first gateway drug into the supplement ring uh, last year when I just realized that the, the crappy rain rotty skin that I was seeing on my horses, which wasn't being treated by anything else, the minute that I helped their gut, it actually helped their coat. So they are all on a gut supplement um, year round. And so it's just kind of Mm -hmm. nice that this one company, Equithrive, is actually provided basically every ingredient I need. You know, it's provided the joint supplement, the biotin, the hoof supplement, and then also my probiotic. And it's, you know, kind of, it is kind of one size shoe fits all for me and the various horses that I'm taking care of. 30 to 30 minutes like we do anyway okay are you yep. ready okay I suppose so <laughs> Jessica Redmond is the owner and founder of Benchmark Sport Horses located in Camden Delaware where she takes retired racehorses every year and retrains rehomes, homes and or sells them to both amateurs juniors and professionals alike she has accumulated quite the following due to her superb eye and ability to market but just to kind of begin Jessica how many horses did you actually sell last year
2: uh we sold 135
1: yikes that's nuts and yes. how like how did this all begin cuz i feel like i've i've watched your name and benchmark kind of grow in the last few years so what started it all
2: um you know i've always been involved in sales to a small degree um my family kind of was in the resource business and had a little bit of a small per- sales program and um, I did some thoroughbred sales to pay for my college. And then when I got out of college, I was like, Oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get involved in horses. And that didn't last very <laughs> famous <long>. last words. <laughs> yeah. So um I worked for a nonprofit. I, I worked for Caner Mid-Atlantic for a while, um, for about eight years, doing their retraining, um, rehoming, and you know, just was super passionate about it. And uh, once we kind of financially got our farm up and running. I decided it was a good time to take the risk and start my own sales program. So I started that probably in about—I uh, feel like I did it in about 2014—and uh, we started out doing about 15 a year, and it's just grown from there. Yeah, you're um, doing
1: more than 15 a month right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I had a—I had a following from doing my. I used to do a lot of blogging when I worked for Canner. So, you know, kind of people knew what we did, knew how we did it. Um, and then I think that kind of just helped build the business a little bit, you know, to start because people kind of, you know, knew knew what we were doing. And, um, you know, that helped.
1: Yeah. So I think the one thing to like kind of clarify is that you you're not an adoption agency. You know, this is not new vocations. This is not rerun. This is Benchmark Sport Horses. So can you kind of explain what your business model is beginning with how you find your horses and how you get them?
2: Yes, yeah, so we are, you know, a for-profit business. I work full-time and um this Which is just kind of think, a Which I also
1: think like needs to be reiterated. She works full-time <laughs> and then Yeah, sells I have a horses. full-time job.
2: <laughs> yeah, um I'm I'm sort of one of those crazy people. So what we do here is, you know, I like to think of our business as the link between the track and the sport horse community. Um, I have a good feel for what, you know, the sport horse people are really looking for in terms of the elite thoroughbreds. So what I'm trying to do is use my connections from the racetrack or, you know, my eye to kind of find those elite thoroughbreds. I'm looking for horses that are between the age of three and seven 15, three and up, you know, the sound, no vices. I prefer geldings. I will buy mares. Um, you know, and I'm just looking for the horses that really stand out to me. Most of my buyers tend to be eventers. So for me, my eye is very drawn to a horse, you know, with an uphill confirmation. I'm looking for a horse that kind of fits in a, in a bit of a square box type of shape. Um, you know, I like, a a big sloping shoulder. I like a high wither on a horse. Um, you know, I, I probably like things that maybe not everybody likes, but I have a certain type that really just speaks to me and I'm just looking for, you know, an athlete, um, above everything else. But you, I try <laughs> to amateur friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: You, you and I have kind of a similar type, which kills me when we're both in the market at the same time. Damn you woman. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you, you're not getting them for free. You're, you're going out and you're hunting these horses down and then you yourself are purchasing them, correct?
2: Yes. I will buy horses from anywhere across the United States. Um, I search anywhere and everywhere that I can to find what I'm looking for. Um, I, you know, I will pay up to $3,500, you know, base price. And then, um, I have to ship them here, but you know, uh, I definitely feel like to find, you know, the truly good ones, you you know, it's, it generally is going to cost you, you know, a good chunk of change to kind of yeah, which is which is a them.
1: great thing because that's changed tremendously just in the last 10 years. absolutely,
2: absolutely, and, and also, trainers need to know that thoroughbreds yes. have value. You yep. know, and I think that's if that's they a good retire thing. them
1: sound, can we say yes. it louder for the people yes. in the back? You we retire your sound horse sound, sound, we will buy them from you.
2: We will pay you good money. Yeah, um, like you know, probably almost not the what same. They're...
1: <laughs> yeah, but almost yep. the same as what they're gonna get out of those low-level claimers. So if you have that option and you know your horse is not going to be anything above a claiming horse and you know that they're still sound, try to find someone like, you know, people like us, many of the Retired Racehorse Project's Thoroughbred Makeover trainers. There are people out there that will buy your horse from you. Yeah. Sorry, that's end, end, hashtag end rant. Um, So, so you get the horse to you, you've already paid for them. You usually buy them sight unseen, correct? yes and then Always. they yeah so they get to your farm and it's kind of like Christmas morning every day so what's the all process the then
2: so generally when horses come in the first thing that we do is you know kind of give them a little bit of a makeover mane pulling clip them up you know bath um you know do the feet do the teeth uh kind of hit all the bases um you know we'll stand them up, take confirmation pictures. We'll put them in the free area. So that's normally the first, you know, piece of it is your confirmation pictures and your free area video are kind of like your first day assessment of, you know, here's what you got. Um, you know, if, if the horse looks, um, happy, you know, we might ask it to free jump, but most of these horses have kind of shipped a long distance and I I just don't like to throw a whole bunch at on the first day. So We're just kind of trying to assess, you know, brain, movement, confirmation. Is the horse sound? Is it what it's said to be? And then, you know, we might, um, you know, let it chill out for a couple of days or we might get on it the next day. Um, So it just kind of depends on what the horse tells us, you know, it wants to do.
1: And then, so you you get on them and kind of the beauty of your program is that, this isn't a quote unquote retraining going to put 10 months on them, go to the makeover type of place. You're literally getting on just to feel for buttons for the most part, correct?
2: Yeah, I'm just trying to get an assessment. You know, and I know people will say, Well, you really can't tell much. I, I would dispute that. I think, you know, what you see is what you get with these horses kind of coming off the track. Yeah, you can read their agree. personality. Um, you know they they tell you what their brain is gonna be like., um, you know, I am a true believer that courses don't change that much. Um, you know, maybe they'll get better, but not always. so I, I like to just see what, you know, what they really are. And what we're looking at is like, you know, how do they stand on the mounting block? Um you know, are they spooky? Do they look at all the new jumps or do they just go around, you know, and do their job? Um, you know, how's their mouth? Are they soft? will they will they find a little bit of a connection? Um, you know, we do pop them over a crossroad within the first ride or two. We might jump some gate. I mean, we might jump whatever if they're like, yeah, let's go, you know, we'll jump yeah. them around. It's um, funny you that you just, say
1: that though, yeah. because I, people give me a hard time when they ask me how I select horses and 90% of the ones that I see here in town are located in a place that I can get on them. And so yeah. I get on them in the middle of a field on, you yep. know, in a pasture, and do exactly what you're talking about because of exactly what you said. I can tell a lot about that horse on that first ride. Am yeah, I, <laughs> you know, am I gonna gallop around and try to do canter pirouettes? No. But I know if they're gonna buck, I know if they're gonna rear, I know if they have a lead change, I know if they can tolerate me messing with their mouth. And yep. usually on that first ride, I ride like a gorilla because I wanna see if they're gonna tolerate somebody riding like a jerk on them. And so like you, you, you just see so much in that first hour.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just think that the horse, you know, they're always going to be their most nervous on their first ride at a new place. So you're kind of really seeing their, their true colors. Um, You know, and I think that's helpful because you want to be able to accurately, you know, represent the horses that you have. So, I mean, a lot of times, even just working with a horse before I even have gotten on it, I can pretty much pinpoint what I'm going to get, you know, and And I think that helps in, you know, not selling the wrong horses (laughs) to the wrong people. You know, you really, you really kind of go, yeah, you know, this horse, it's a really nice horse and it's very talented, but it's pretty forward thinking. It's pretty sensitive you know, this horse is really not for somebody that rides two days a week and, you know, is not ready for this kind of horse, you know, or we both
1: know you're, you you only are as good as your reputation and the more good matches that you make, the more buyers, like it literally is like an exponential growth. Like you sell that one good horse to that one perfect person and they tell their four friends and then those four friends come and they tell their four friends and it just grows exponentially. But the minute that you sell and it might not even be intentional, but you sell that horse to the wrong person. God, that feels yeah. terrible.
2: It does, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, and I know mine don't stay long, but you you generally can get a pretty good idea of what you have and what kind of job a horse wants to do and what kind of rider that they're going to fit and, you know, all those all those things pretty quickly, um, you know, and, and just a soundness assessment. You know, I think that's a big part of, you know, what we're doing is, you know, just you can look at a horse standing in a barn and, you know, know that it's clean legs, but, you know, you want to see how it moves and how it uses its body. And, you know, there are horses that I think are easier to ride on the flat than others. And I yeah. think that matters, you know, to people when they're picking out horses for sure. You know, there's riders that are, you know, talented enough to teach a horse, you know, how to go on the bit, but then there's other riders that just really want something that's going to naturally go that way, you know, so you, you're kind of getting that assessment, you know, early on. And, um, and that's a big part of our program is just teaching these horses very quickly, you know, some, some basic life skills that I think are necessary to bridge the gap between track and sport horse. And, and, you know, so much
1: of that is, Mm. is assumed. And that's kind of the predicament that a lot of these people that want to retrain horses, get themselves into, they could be the best rider, But if you don't understand what life is like on the racetrack, it's very hard to change what the horse thinks it's doing correctly. So like you said, the mounting block, these racehorses are not standing still when the exercise riders or jockeys are thrown up on them. So they're not misbehaving. Mm When they don't no. stand at the mounting block, they think they're doing the right thing, and they don't understand why you're not jogging next to them, and that's
2: our biggest um hurdle that we we face, you know, and I think um it's just one of those things that it can go wrong really quickly if oh, you yeah. don't take your time. Um, I am most cautious, and my riders are most cautious when we get on a horse for the first time. We know the horse has been ridden, but they've never stood at a mounting block, and so we are always teaching them that. Um, And we spend as much time as it takes, you know, and however many days it takes to get them comfortable with that process. And, you know, we just did one today that like the first time we went to get on the mounting block, like it wasn't going to happen that day. So I ended up giving her a leg up. But, you know, now on ride two, we can get on from the mounting block and we, you know, we spent Five minutes, going up and down, and leaning over, and talking to him, and you know, just making sure that he's comfortable and confident. Because if you just go up that mounting block, fling yourself on their back, you scare them. It, it's all over. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it's, and just, it's yeah.
1: It's kind of one of those nothing fights that we all have with our significant others because the horse has no clue it's doing something wrong. So you're getting mad at it for not doing something you think you don't realize you're not doing wrong. And it's just a nothing fight, but it can lead to like such a disastrous situation. And that, I put mounting blocks, cross ties, like there's just a couple of things that they just don't do on the racetrack. It's not a bad thing. It's not like, you know, it's not because they're doing something wrong. They're doing it right for their discipline. But we just need to make sure that we're understanding what the horse knows and like positive reinforcement when we train them something different. Absolutely. So you've got them. You've probably Mm -hmm. popped over a crossrail. You go to market them. Is there a specific way you like to market them? Like, do you actually use websites? Are you just using Facebook? What are you doing? Uh, I do
2: both. So I maintain my own website and my website is kind of, um, you know, the go-to place that I try to send people because I always have, you know, four to five horses for sale. And, you know, I keep everything on my website. Here's, here's the link to their photo album. Here's all their videos. Here's their pedigree, the age, the height, the price, you know, go here. But I also, I mean, Facebook is pretty much, you know, where I believe everybody is looking and shopping nowadays. So um, that's definitely has to be part of, you know, a marketing plan. Uh, it's all about the pictures and the video and just, you know, kind of uh, presenting the horse in the best light. You know, we try to you know we we don't go over and above and i i really don't edit my videos heavily i i keep them for pretty much what they are um but i i make them short and sweet um you know we'll put some polos on the you know put some nice white boots on the horse yeah. put a nice white saddle pad put a little blingy brow band you know just just trying to make the horse look as nice as it is it is but you know i'm not going to um <laughs> photoshop or edit you know it it is what it is i want you to come and see you're this not gonna horse use is a green exactly. screen yeah, no, no standing on the beach, you know, with the waves. No, we don't do that. <laughs> what you see is what you get. So, um, you know, I don't want anybody going, well, that's not the same horse. You no, know, it is. Um, and we, we video every ride. Cause I do think that it's important to see the progress of the horses because, um, you know, talk about the difference a couple of rides can make. So I think it's cool for horse shoppers to be able to see this is what ride one looked like. This is ride three. This is ride seven. Because, you know, when you're shopping for a horse, you're, you're looking to kind of, you know, if you want to know, is that seller honest, you know, you can look at the videos, see if that horse was sound in all the videos, see what that horse has been doing, you know, see different riders on that horse or whatever that may be. And, and you kind of get a little bit of sense of security that, you know, it is what you're saying. Yeah. It's it is. not just
1: one hugely edited sales video, which Exactly there's nothing wrong with that. I, I no. have kind of a similar mentality. Sure. You have like the highlight reel, but yes. then when the, you know, potential buyer asks, do you have any more flat video? Do you have any more jump video? Right. You just have like the YouTube channel of like, yep. here is every ride. I have yep. gotten my fiance who clucks at me to videotape if exactly. they're in landscape. Cause if he videotapes one more fricking time and profile, <laughs> I'm going to call off the wedding. <laughs> I'm trying. Goodly, he Positive don't, reinforcement. He bought me a solo shot to get away from all of the videoing. So I think that's a yeah. good training strategy. Um, yeah. So I know you and I have talked about this quite in depth. We actually have an interview with my own sport horse vet about her, you know, version of what a good pre-purchase is. And I know that you struggle with this as well What are you seeing pre-purchase wise? Are there deal breakers? Is there stuff that bothers you that doesn't bother buyers or vice versa? Elaborate.
2: Oh boy, (laughs) I'm not bothered by much. I I feel like when you've been in the business and you've been doing horses for so long, I mean, you just, uh, I I probably am a lot more open minded, and I tend to look at the horse in front of me. Um, yeah, the soundest also, horses
1: have the worst X-rays.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm a very like I I've actually never uh, taken X-rays of any horse that I've ever owned personally, um, nor do I ever plan to. I don't want to know. I just sort of live by the theory that, you know, racing is a job. And if they retire sound from racing, I likely am never going to use that horse as hard as what they were doing. So um, I probably don't want to know, but I know that's not how everybody views it. So, um, you know, I do understand the need for a pre-purchase. pre-purchases are necessary because I do believe, you know, they cover um, everybody. I mean, I want people to have a pre-purchase because I do feel that, you know, it, it gives a little bit of reassurance that, you know, I'm representing the horse accurately. Everybody is on the same page. Uh, deal breakers. I mean, you know, the whole kissing spine thing is a big, uh, it's just popped up in the past couple of years and it it
1: took the place of EPM. You mean?
2: Yeah. It's a, it's just a hot button issue. Um, you know, I have my feeling on it and that's just that you know, thoroughbreds do, um, you know, a lot of times have radiograph, you know, changes, but that doesn't mean that they truly are symptomatic and that it means anything. And, you know, most sport horse vets will tell you that, you know, looking at spine x-rays does not mean a horse has kissing spines, but it's, it's very hard. Um, you know, a lot of buyers will just, you know, walk right away if, if there's even, you know, a close, um, process in the spine and, you know, that's just, uh, maybe they've had a bad experience or, you know, they just hear that word and, you know, they run away. I don't, I don't know, but I just, I haven't had a lot of truly, you know, issues, um, with horses and I'm looking more at the horses like an athlete, you know, how does it feel when I ride it? Does it go over its back? Does it use its back? You know, all those things that I feel like you can tell as a rider, um, that, you know, maybe those x-rays are not, you know, truly giving you the full picture. Um,
1: and and is there anything like that will keep you from getting one to resell it? Cause that's a whole different world in that direction. So like, uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I, you know, resale is hard. Um, and and that's, (laughs) that's the reality. Like everybody wants a horse that's perfectly clean. And, and, you know, so from a resale perspective, if I know it has something and it's not gonna, you know, have clean x-rays i i probably am not gonna buy it um just because i think if you truly are disclosing what you know and you say chip even though like maybe it's just a flake and maybe it's outside the joint if you say that word yeah people run away they don't even look at the x-ray they they might not even want to look at the x-ray because you've said it has a chip
1: it's so um, funny because so- we we just <laughs> talked about this with dr woodruff with heather because I remember I had a sales horse, uh, probably 2015, and he went lame. You know what I mean? Just like tweaked his ankle in the field type of lame. And, but he was for sale, so I had them do a workup on that ankle. And when we x-rayed it, there was a flake out, yep. you know, on the outside of the joint space. But I had seen so many yearling x-rays that when I saw that pop up on the computer, I was like, I will never sell this horse. And um, both of my vets just kind of stared at me, and they were like, "Girlfriend, this is not going to affect the horse <laughs> right. in this any way, shape, or form." Not a deal breaker. But yeah, it's, it's like what exactly. you said, coming from the thoroughbred sales market. If if it said chip on your repository right. page, buyers see yeah. that and run. And they it's run. so yeah. stupid because no two chips are made equal.
2: Absolutely. Like, and I think, you know, that's the thing without truly knowing the full picture, you know, it it may not even be a big deal, but it could be. So, you know, it's it's how much do you want to invest in, you know, researching, you know, whatever issue it may be. I mean, I I'm not even afraid of OCDs like on a personal level. There are things that I buy that, you know, I, I wouldn't buy for resale, but for myself. Absolutely, because the horse is sound, it's doing the job. You know, I really just don't care. But for resale, things become a bigger deal. And what happens is they just require a price reduction. And what I have found is I, in my business model, my horses are coming from the track and they're getting minimal retraining. Most sport horse vets will tell you if that horse is sound and it's doing a job, meaning it's clocking around novice and it's been going around novice for a year and it's sound they will overlook many things that they might not overlook for a, a horse that's coming right off the track. Yep. I disagree with that because I'm like, well, that horse has been doing a really hard job. Like we have to look at racing like a job. Yep. So I get frustrated as a seller because I do feel that racing is a job. And if that horse is sound and it's flexing sound and it's just race, then Why are we saying, you know, it's going to be an issue,
3: which
1: which leads to an interesting point of, Mm -hmm. we always promote the idea of make sure you have a good sport horse vet, do your sport horse pre-purchase. But on the flip side of that, it's also really, really imperative to have a good sport horse vet who understands racing, who understands that if say Nixon, who ran from two to six, won a half a million dollars, we would expect some changes in say his fetlocks, you know what I mean. Like yeah. if he has minor oslets, that wouldn't scare you because you know he's been running at such a high level consistently once a month yeah. for the past three years. Whereas if you get a warm blood who's been turned out in the field till he was five, and you go to X-ray him and he has oslets, it's a different different ball game. So it's really important that you choose the right vet to build that bridge between the two things and have them be as knowledgeable as possible.
2: Absolutely. You know, and, and I do find that, you know, that, that can be a struggle um, even just, you know, because sometimes people will send their x-rays to the vet and they're just looking at the x-rays, but they don't know the horse or the yeah. history or any of that stuff. And I think, you know, you have to kind of uh, look at everything as a whole. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's easier to have that perspective when you have the experience. So I I guess that's also, you know, a piece that I try to be careful with is, you know, as much as I vet my horses, I vet my buyers, you know, I want somebody that understands that these horses are athletes and, you know, isn't going to come into a pre-purchase uh, looking to fail a horse uh, you know it's important that um, people are open-minded about about vettings and aren't just looking to you know uh, pass on a horse you know immediately you know if if a, of a small thing pops up because you know things I don't think there's any such thing as you know a perfect um, vetting I, I no. think there's always going to be some little finding or something so I think it's just a comfort level um, you know and I don't get upset if people pass on horses because there's certain things you know I had somebody pass on a horse recently because he had a little um, a little bit of a old scar on his cornea. And she had, you know, previously a horse with a really bad eye issue. So the one finding on this horse happened to be her one, you know, oh, my God, issue. I'm like, you know, what are the chances? Right. But, you know, she ended up buying another horse and she's super happy with that horse. And, you know, you just have to look at it like if everybody's positive and happy and just goes, you know what, that's horses for you, no big deal. Then, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, it just leads to open communication and hopefully, you know, just say, okay, well, you know, well, there'll be another horse coming down the pike, you know, no worries. Yeah.
1: Which kind of leads me to like my last question. So do you have rules or kind of an outline of how you deal with buyers? And we get into this conversation quite a bit of, buyers getting frustrated with sellers when the horse sells before they can get there or if you know their phone call doesn't hold the horse so what is your policy for those situations
2: you know as you know when a hot horse hits the market yeah. it, it it definitely is really challenging and i think the best thing that you can do is treat everybody equally and i really try to be fair about it so i will put my horses on facebook Um, you know, and generally I know the people that are going to respond, but it's, I hold that horse. So the way that I do it is I don't take deposits. Um, but you know, it's whoever first buys the horse or whoever, um, agrees to set the vetting first. And that's the way that I, that I do my sales. Um, does
1: that work most of the time for you or do you still get a ton of frustrated people? You know,
2: people are always frustrated because I think it's just the way that it goes. You know, I wanted that horse and, you know, and it's, uh, I've had cases where people have offered me more money to sell the horse out, out, you know, out from under somebody or, you know, I'll be there with a the truck and a trailer tomorrow and, you know, your reputation is everything. Yeah. So I think it's just really important to be clear about your policy. I mean, I have mine on my, on my website, you know, and I just try to tell people, I don't play favorites. You know, I really try to be fair to people. I'm not going to sell a horse out from under you. If you've set that betting, I'm holding that horse for you, you know, unless something happens. <laughs> so,
1: but that, but that and- then leads to like exactly what you said. Your reputation is all you have. Like the horses that you sell, how you deal with the buyers, it's really your calling card. But at the same time, yeah. buyers have to appreciate that there are good sellers out there. And when we say, hey, I don't think that this horse is a good fit for you, don't get aggressive. Don't get adamant. You know what I mean? Don't say, well, no, I want to buy him. I'll give you full price, et cetera, et cetera. We want a good home for our horses just as much as we want the money in our bank account.
2: And I've definitely turned down people. And I mean, you know, they get upset and maybe they, you know – They say bad things about me and they'll never recommend me to anybody else. But at the end of the day, like I know that if I sold them the horse and and it could be for a variety of reasons, maybe I know their riding style or their lifestyle or their, you know, farm setup, or whatever it may be. And I know this horse is not going to work for them. They're going to call me up in two weeks and say, you know what, this isn't a good fit. So why would I even entertain it if I know it's not going to work out? Like that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I think you have to look at it like that, you know, that horse is then going to come back to me because I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to take the horse back and
1: a a couple of issues like now, no longer standing at the mounting
2: block, (laughs) you know, and I think that's part of, you know, looking at the big Petra kind of thing when you do sales is it's not just about the first buyer that shows up. I mean, I get a lot of people that will you know, suddenly, you know, start asking about a horse. And, you know, if I don't know him, I'll start asking him a lot of questions. You know, how often do you ride? Do you have a trainer? You know, what's your, what's your farm setup Like, you know, just to feel out kind of, all right, tell me, tell me what you're looking for. And then I'll say, this horse is not going to work for you. And people will get offended. And I'm like, I can tell you, I'm just telling you, like, I don't want to sell you this horse. And, And it, it does, it makes for enemies, but you know what? it's, it's okay. (laughs) Um, I I just, I'm okay with with that
1: exact same thing, which it's funny. You know, you, you put yourself into different perspectives and it just opens your eyes to the whole thing. I understand how trying to buy a horse can be so frustrating. Like you and I go out and try to find them as well. So like, I understand that you get lied to and you get tire kicked and et cetera, et cetera. But on the flip side, when you go to sell them, like there are good ethical sellers out there. And trust their gut alongside all the other information that you have. You know, you you enlist a trainer, you enlist a veterinarian to help you. Also, listen to the seller. If they don't yeah. think it's a good fit, there's probably a damn good reason why they don't.
2: Absolutely. You know, and I just think that it's not even that it's like, um, you know, it's, you know, I'll just say to people, listen, there's a, like, I tell me your list and I will, I will help you find something, but I'm just telling you, you're not going to be happy with this horse. And, you know, I want to make a good sale. And most people honestly appreciate that. And it will earn you a customer at the end of the day, because maybe they're angry at you at that moment, but then they go and think about it and they're like, wow, we've never actually had somebody tell us, you know, no, this isn't a good and You you have enough
1: horses where you can be like, Hey, I don't think that horse a is going to be great for you, but here's horse F. You right. know, so yep. that really yep. helps you out as well in getting yep. horses sold. And, and a lot of
2: times I just know their trainers and the trainers will contact me directly. And I have, you know, ex-student and, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I had a horse not too long ago that I was like, I don't really know if you want this horse, you know, and I chatted with the buyer and I chatted with their trainer and they're like, no, we're good with, you know, this stuff. And then I felt comfortable because. I did feel like I gave them the, the very, it was a very nice horse. He was just like very green. And you know, he just, he needed a special program more on the ground than the riding. The riding was fine, but he just kind of was pushy. And I'm like, you know, you just need somebody that knows. And, and they were very, everybody was on the same page. So I felt like there was going to be no hurt feelings if it didn't go as smoothly as they expected, because I set them up for exactly what the horse was going to do. Yep. And I felt comfortable that, everybody was okay with it you know and I think that's all you can do is kind of to be you know really really honest like this is the worst that this horse is going to do like can you handle it because if you can't you know let's not even go down that that road and I think you know good sellers will will do that and I do think there's plenty of good sellers you know on the track that um when I call about horses they're like you don't want this one for your <laughs> sales program. And yep. I'm like, you know what? I so appreciate that because Same. people know, you know, that's not what I'm looking for. And they'll just tell me that's yeah. not something that you want for your program. Somebody you. <laughs> made
1: the comment to me a couple of weeks ago that, um, all of the horses that I've gotten from this one specific trainer shout out will B and Chris Kristen van meter have mm-hmm. been unicorns. You know what I mean? They were like, gosh, yeah. they're just such nice horses like they must train them so well and I was like you know what that's a huge part of it because Willby is an amazing trainer and his wife Kristen is a beautiful rider and she's the one riding them every day but more so than that Kristen is a beautiful assessor of the right. horses so she right. literally will just text message me and be like hey this one is sane as can be we would make him a pony horse if we could he needs right. to be some adult amateurs horse right or this exactly. one we would put our kids on if we could <laughs> like let's you know so they've they've never contacted me and said hey guys this one's a huge asshole you should definitely <laughs> try to flip it So it's just nice when you make those connections with those trainers that you trust their opinion, and it takes so much. And it goes into our, our,
2: you know, why our prices are what our prices are, because that connections that we have with those people, you know, we're getting in thoroughbreds that, you know, can transition super easy from track to show ring. That people, it makes it look easy. It's not always as easy as we make it look, but when you buy from the good people, It is and can be that easy because you're getting the right kind of horses, you know, and I think, you know, it that (laughs) I think that sometimes, you know, does um, make it look easier than it is because I sometimes think, you know, when I have a couple tough horses, I'm like, oh, man, you know, God, this is so hard. I'm like, these other horses are just so easy. They really make you appreciate, like, the good
1: ones. And on the flip side of that, learn from my mistakes when a farm manager or a trainer contacts you and says, yeah, we're only going to offer this one to you because we're pretty sure he's going to kill someone. Don't (laughs) get cocky. Like, learn from my mistakes. I have a nine-year-old. His name is Nixon. He does nothing but terrorize small people. Like... When the trainer yeah. says, "Like, hey, this one's hot," or the exercise ride, thats a, a great person to talk to—is the exercise yeah, rider. Yeah, always. When they yep. say, "Oh yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to yep. try to turn that one," listen yep. to them, trust them. Yep. Don't get so egotistical to be like, "Well, they don't ride as well as I do." No, they well, do. Well, at the
2: end of the day, what we can ride is not what we can sell. And I think exactly. one of the biggest lessons that I learned, you know, early on when I started to do my sales program is that. You know, I, I really try to look for horses that, you know, they're really athletic, but they're also horses that can be ridden by other people because just because it's a horse that I want to ride does not mean, you know, it's the most marketable horse. Yep. So, and I you say, know.
1: I say the exact same thing, like confirmationally, I want their legs about as perfect as they can get. But like you mentioned, like the big uphill shoulder, the short back. I love mm-hmm. those things for my own personal horses, but sometimes that massive movement also yes. equates with a professional's ride. Right. So right. I always am like, ah, I'll take the long, low back that might be just, you know, daisy cutting around the field. Cause I can sell those to a kid.
2: True. And it's, you know, it, and it depends on your program because a lot of my buyers are professionals. Yes. So I think, you know, I try to buy um, a mix, you know, like I won't, not buy a horse that I think is like just average because you know what everybody needs, like just that do-gooder, you know, type that just will pack somebody around. You know, I have one in here that I just sold as a lesson horse. And I'm like, I honestly wouldn't say many of these guys, you know, are just that quiet, but this horse is just truly like that is him. And there's nothing wrong with that. Is that a horse that I want to ride? No, but it's a great horse. And, you know, I don't get a lot of them because that's not what my program is designed for. I'm trying to look for that super fancy. Oh my God. One that just is going to jump out on the page on you. And somebody's going to go, I've got to have that horse. Yep. You know, buy those kinds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, cool. Thank you so much for talking to us, yep. Jess. I'm yep. so happy. We got to pick your brain today. Uh, we'll obviously have to have you back as we get closer yep. to the retired Racehorse project and hear about which of your babies are going to be entered. Sounds good. Thanks Jess.
2: All right. Have a good day. Bye.
1: I didn't know if Rochester was part of it. Speaking of which, when I dialed your number just now, it reminded me, um, I'm sure John's recording this, hey, Adam Benson, if you're listening, my ex-boyfriend from college was from Rochester, and (laughs) I still use his Kroger account here in Lexington, Uh and so I don't have the card anymore, but it's under his number, so it's a 585 number. So when I was (laughs) dialing your number just now, I was like, ugh. Well, that too. He also doesn't return (laughs) my
0: phone calls, so it's fine.
1: Don't. Broke up with that one. Didn't go too well. Anyhow. Okay. So I'm going to like basically introduce you and then we're going to just talk. Okay. Sounds good. There's no rules. So (laughs) to begin. So Sarah Hepler is our next guest and she is a horsewoman from Rochester, New York, who is a huge advocate for the retired racehorse. I had the unusual opportunity to sit down and speak with her just last year at the Retired Racehorse Project's Thoroughbred Makeover after her phenomenal freestyle, and I got to learn all about so many things. Her training process, her goals, her background, and why she's using these horses to promote inclusivity and reject bullying, which I think are some pretty cool ideas that we don't see too much of in the horse industry, and I guess we can just kind of start there, so... Can you talk about this whole lift your sister idea and why you're promoting it?
3: Sure. So, I mean, starting from the time when, you know, I first came back um, to writing after being in the hospital, after losing my arm, um, you know, I, I was different and people made me well aware of the fact that I was different. Um, And And on top of that, I was riding in Huntsy and, you know, while my family was definitely middle-class compared to all of the other people at my farm, we were definitely poor. So, (laughs) um, so I kind of had two strikes against me and I always felt very left out and very bullied. And, you know, I, I, and I, I didn't, I, I kind of continued to feel that way throughout sort of my my career, you know, where there's always the extreme competition um, at all boarding fas- well, at all facilities, and everybody would rather backstab and, you know, bring you down and talk bad about you and, you know, for whatever reason. And I just decided I wanted something better um, and something more. So Lift Your Sister is really more about when what happens when we stop, you know, competing mercilessly with each other and stop tearing each other down and instead, you know, encourage each other and support each other. And it's amazing how much further we can all get and what we can all accomplish when we have the support of our sisters behind us.
1: And it's it's so funny that you say that, Sarah, because I actually uh, had this idea in my mind a couple of days ago and I don't know what made me think of it but it was the whole it gets better idea and I was driving in my truck and I just maybe I was being ragey that day but I was like it doesn't get better like bad people are still out there there are still bullies even if you're 35 or 65 the difference between it is how you react to it and also how who you surround yourself with which I think is a huge part of your story and I just love watching you on social media because you have found this network of like-minded people Mm -hmm. and can you just kind of like elaborate on how you found them
3: and what you guys do (laughs) so um my parents left um the Rochester area four or five years ago and moved to Massachusetts um, with Wegmans, which is a huge grocery store for people that aren't from the the Northeast, I miss their subs (laughs) so much. Oh my God. Their subs and everything. Like I definitely, (laughs) I definitely drink the Wegmans Kool-Aid, but all of that (laughs) aside. Um, so they moved my parents out to Massachusetts. And so I kind of, you know, I'm an only child and, uh, you know, my extended family isn't really in Rochester either. So I moved down to where one of my friends were, which is in central New York and outside of Ithaca, New York. And, um, you know, we didn't really want to board in any of the boarding barns that were around. So we started like our own co-op and I had met um, Megan Kraut who is also a retired racehorse project, um, trainer. I'd met her shortly before the 2017 makeover and she's actually local to this area too. Um, and we like, we just clicked and she's the same kind of person. She's the, you know, I'm going to stand here and cheer for you and be your biggest cheerleader no matter what. And, you know, even if you jump out of the dressage arena, like maybe I almost did at my last show, you know, she's the first one there to be like, Oh my God, but your trot circle was so fantastic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, Um,
3: you know, and then after that, um, you know, we just, I just met so many people in the area and honestly, it was all through the retired racehorse project because they're all, you know, trainers in this area or volunteers in this area that brought us, you know, sort of all together. Um, um, Kathy Augie was another like initial, the big, she's so supportive and she's so, um, she's so kind and she's always there and we always joked with her that she was part trainer, part therapist for us. Um, and she is one of the main volunteers at the RP. She runs the um, stadium ring. Um, I'm sorry, the show jumping ring. Um, and all of, uh, Oh, she's a big volunteer coordinator. Um, and then just another group of, of girls that were, you know, other trainers and all loved thoroughbreds. And we all just kind of got together and formed this co-op And we do all of the fun things together.
1: (laughs) And just to kind of like go back to the very beginning. So like I said, I met you at the retired racehorse projects thoroughbred makeover last year because your story was just so unusual. And the beauty about it is that you weren't afraid to talk about it. So you touched briefly on the fact that you lost your arm in a car accident. How old were you when that happened? I was 10. Gosh. And... And you just have kind of learned to move on through life without it. And you you lost it almost at the shoulder, correct?
3: Uh, yes. It's slightly below, slightly below the shoulder. Um, I tried uh, working with prosthetics, but um, you know, 10, there's so many advantages and disadvantages to being so young, right? I was so, it was so easy to adapt, but I'm still growing and changing and they could never quite get um, the part that actually goes onto my arm to fit correctly and comfortably. Um, so that, and, and prosthetic arms just weren't, I mean, w- so let me age myself. This brings us back to 1990, um, mm-hmm. and technology then was definitely not what it is now. So I just decided to go without and here I am.
1: But you had, you had ridden before the accident and then continued riding after, right?
3: Yeah. I had ridden for two years in a, um, like a hunter jumper lesson program. I didn't have my own horse yet.
1: the, The whole thing fascinates me, and I know that we've had a couple of conversations about this because when I met you at the Retired Racehorse Project, my mentality was, holy crap, how is she doing such a good job when she has this handicap, when she has this disability that, you know, is going to hinder her performance in some way. And then we had that conversation a couple of months ago where I then had to kind of pause and go, huh. They just did a William Fox pit clinic in Lexington and in the Mm -hmm. clinic, he made every single rider hold their reins with one hand and Mm -hmm. drop their other arm to their side because he wanted to see where the issues were in their riding. And his whole idea was if you can't do it one handed, you're using your hands too much.
0: And then I messaged
1: you and I said, is this how you feel? Do you feel like you ride more with your actual seat and legs And everything that classical dressage and even jumpers try to teach you, but instead we all rely on our hands. Is that like, is that how you feel you're riding those? (laughs)
3: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I do in some ways feel like it is a big advantage. Um, I mean, I will, I will be honest right now. I'm struggling because the horse that I'm bringing along has a very hard mouth um, and he's very uphill. And while he doesn't, Um, hollow his back up and he does like to go above the vertical Um, and there are so many hints and tricks and not fast fixes but ways to work on it that work so much better with two hands that um, myself and my trainer are are working our way through it with one hand but Yes, I would say for the most part. I feel like it's sort of an advantage because I can't rely on it too much.
1: It's just, it just the whole idea fascinates me because we talk a lot about how we're losing that uh that technique, we're losing that horsemanship in all disciplines, and one of the things that we're constantly harped on is the fact that the current rider seesaws, the current rider oh. throws on draw reins, the current rider finds these little gimmicks to get a horse's head down. But in true classical dressage, you ride from your seat to your hand. And yeah. like you said, you're forced to do so, which is just fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah. And then yeah. like when you go, I, I, you know, you're now well, you have been, but with this horse, you're now jumping more. Can you yeah. kind of talk about what it's like to,
3: you know, neck rein around the jumps? <laughs> <laughs> um, so believe it or not, I think that my horse is just I me by seat because this horse actually neck reins really, really well, um, and sometimes he neck reins a little bit better than he direct reins. So, um, so with jumping, it's actually been um, it's actually been really easy. <laughs> he's been really easy to jump, um, and the fact that he's one of those that just takes you to the jump and has a lot of natural. Um, I guess I'm going to use the word ambition. Um, he really wants to make me happy um, and do the right thing. So that really helps. I don't have to worry about so much um, the wiggles, you know, he's he's pretty straight once I get him on the line.
1: And what's, what's the background on this horse? I, I know that the horse you had last year, you were basically given by his race owners. Is it a similar story for this guy?
3: <laughs> no, <laughs> um, this one was supposed to be a resale. So I went in with a significantly higher budget than I have with previous, um, you know, horses off the track. Um, I found him in a listing and I looked for all of the things that we look for in a good resale. You know, I wanted something with a little bit of chrome. Um, I wanted something that was a really nice balance mover and that was very sound. Um, And that also had a great personality because I'm not going to work with a horse regardless of what I'm going to do with it after if their personality is, you know if they're crazy. Yeah. Um, so I bought this one from a trainer and I have the fortune of having a lot of friends on the backside of the track. Um, the trainer that gave me my 2018 horse, her husband is a jockey. So she, you know, and he's ridden almost all of the horses at the Finger Lakes. So, um, I had asked him a little bit about this horse and, you know, him and knowing, how, how I felt about flat lever and you know, how he is my heart horse and how I ride. He said, yeah, this would actually be a perfect horse for you. So, um, so I bought him off of a listing off of Finger Lakes Finest. Um, and I bought him with the intention of reselling him. And then he colicked and spent seven days at Cornell. Um, and the, uh, that there said, yep, uh, you can take him home and try and refeed him again, but he's already refailed, you know, the feeding test and pretty much you're taking him home to let him die. Um, and I guess I didn't realize how much I really liked this horse until that happened. And then he didn't die. And now he's turning into this absolutely fabulous horse that I'm now going to keep. <laughs>
1: As I was, I was actually just being interviewed by somebody yesterday uh, about how I resell horses and I, you know, I'm sitting there getting all puffy chested being like, they have to be four to six and 16 hands are taller and I'm so good at this. And then like I looked behind <laughs> me and I was like, and there are the four horses that I cannot ever sell because I'm actually not that good at this. Like I was like listing the reasons. I was like, well, Nixon's crazy and Kennedy's too old and Bodie's broken. Oh, and Mac, he's totally sellable, but I can't sell him because I psychologically implode. It's fine. (laughs) But like, they just like looked at me. They were like, why do you have four horses if you're so good at selling horses? I was like, don't ask questions.
0: Leave me alone.
1: (laughs) Um, So kind of on that note, with him and your group of friends, we've talked about this a little bit, but your trainer, her name's Holly Parker, which I remember because mm-hmm. it's my aunt's name. Um, <laughs> but she definitely helps you with this whole process. And we've talked about the fact that like she gets on them when you're having difficulties and vice versa. Do you think that having like a
3: trainer like that is just super integral to
1: the success you've had?
3: Oh my God. I would not be where I am without Holly for so many reasons. Um, not just because, you know, she has had true classical training and true classical trainers, like you heard in your clinic, expect you to ride with one hand. Um, and, you know, she's had all of that training. So she has really like this unlimited toolbox of, you know, tools. I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, not I'm not good with words right now. Um, I use can, big words. <laughs> that she can just offer me um and and yes the fact that she doesn't hesitate to get on but she's also given me the confidence to say it's okay like i'm struggling with this i can't get past it holly i really need your help yeah you know she's she's really given me the confidence to say that that's okay you know this horse is different than what you're used to you know we got on we we had 60 days to start fletcher but fletcher is one of these freaks of nature that you know had this perfectly soft mouth and natural perfect carriage And, you know, she's like, there's not going to be another Fletcher that comes along. So we're going to have to do a new learning process with this one. So, but I also think
1: that's so important for everybody else, whether they're entered in the retired racehorse project or whether they just are trying to get their first horse that they've ever owned themselves. Like guys, every horse is different, every single one. So like you might look at your friends and this goes to the jealousy and the bullying crap because we all do it to each other. You can look at somebody who shows up at the Retired racehorse Project with what looks like the most amazing horse in the entire world, and they're so egotistical about it, and they're so confident about it. But you have to know two things. A, they probably worked their ass off to get there. But B, yep. they could have just gotten that freak of a horse. And we've all – if if you ride enough horses, retrain enough horses, you'll eventually find that freak. But at the same yep. time – if you ride enough horses and retrain enough horses, you're eventually going to find the devil. <laughs> so like it it works both ways. So don't dismiss the people that are having a hard time, but at the same time, don't be so insanely jealous of the people that are having an yep. easier time because it's eventually yep. going to, it's going to swap and you yourself are going to get to experience all of those. But the best thing you can do is a acknowledge that And B, have a really good trainer and a really good support system to help you work through both of them.
3: Exactly. I mean, I am a perfect example of that. I did the 2017 makeover and there was 78 people, I think, in dressage and I was like 52nd place with a 55 um, on a mare that I had for over a year. Um, Obviously, I hadn't ridden her, but she got to have a lot more of a letdown period than, than flat lever did. Um, Because not only did I only have 60 days to prepare him, but he'd only been off the track for four months by the time I got to the makeover. Um, So (laughs) just comparing the two years, and this mare is a nice mare, but, um, yep, 55 versus a 78. So I did, I will be the first to say I had that freak of nature. I had him. I have him. He's never leaving my side. He is a total freak of nature.
1: Yeah, and on the flip side, I had a horse who on the first day of the makeover started in sixth place in eventing but finished in 37th out of 39. We had a pretty epic cross-country trip. Um, But then the next day decided to wake up on the correct side of the stall. So I didn't even have, like, the freak that's my heart horse. I just had the freak who on one day of his life – Chose to wrap it up and keep it all locked in the lockbox. So, you know, and that's the same thing. Other people can literally have the easiest year of their life with this amazing horse and they get to the Kentucky horse park and it unravels them. So it goes back to that, that jealousy thing, that bullying thing. There is no need to be so hateful to each other when every single person is going through something that you don't, you know, nothing about. But more so, yep. we're dealing with 1,200 to 1,400-pound 1, animals that we can't predict what they're going to do. Right. It right. Just, you know, and, it, and it goes back. I, I love the fact that you're so so supportive, so inclusive, so anti-bullying. Um, do you have any opinions on what's going on with Yusef with the safe sport stuff? <laughs> I mean, I think... <laughs> that was like an evil laugh. <laughs>
3: I mean, okay, the safe sport. So everyone's like, Oh my God, it takes five hours. It takes forever. It takes so long. Um, but I mean, I think there are other just as important movements other than lift your sister that need to be acknowledged, like the me too movement. And I think that safe sport is very, very necessary. Um, I hope would hope that people would start to recognize that bullying really does play into that as well um, because bullying is anytime you intentionally cause fear to someone that you see that is more vulnerable than yourself um, you know so I would hope that people would see how all of that plays into each other and be- maybe stop and think yeah. before they say or do or react to a situation um, something my mom told me a long, long time ago, like shortly after I lost my arm and I just came home from school crying. She's like, Sarah, you can't change how people treat you. All you can do is change how you react to them um, and how you let them make you feel. So um, I think it was just that piece of advice from such a young age that my mom gave me that really sort of formed where I am today, um, 30 years later. <laughs> yeah. And, and
1: it, you know, we, we talk about this a lot, but horses and riding horses is like the perfect breeding ground for bullying. But at the same time, it's something, like I said, that it's so not, you can't predict what your horse is going to do. You cannot predict that your horse is going to be on his A game or on his F game. And we really should only be competitive within ourselves and our own training plans. Like it makes no sense to go out and get upset about, you know, so-and-so with their expensive warm blood. With that being said, I fully admit that I came off the cross-country course last summer. I fell off. I didn't walk off the cross-country course. I fell off on cross-country. And I got back to my trailer and had one of the most epic toddler-esque temper tantrums I've ever had in my entire life. And I just screamed at my fiancé that it just, life wasn't fair. It wasn't Mm -hmm. fair. I didn't have a fancy trailer. I didn't have an imported warm blood I don't understand how he expects me to live like this. I wanted the expensive <laughs> warm blood. I wanted him to buy me a four star horse that I could go around prelim on. And I, I like, I threw my crop. It was not a good moment. And he just looked at me and was like, oh my God calm down. I'll see you at home. <laughs> and I got home and he was like, so are we selling all of your thoroughbreds to get you that expensive warm blood? And I was like, no, I love Mac. Leave me alone. I'm fine. So like we, we can all have those moments. Lord knows we all have bad days. Like it, I think it's really nice to hear you say that this year isn't going as well as last year. Oh no. And, oh no. and Lord knows six months from now you might place better. Because you're gonna double down on it,
3: you know. well, I, well, let me back up a little bit because I have a little piece of advice um, for you in those instances when you're having a temper tantrum, um, and it's something that I've had <laughs> to do. Don't
1: have a temper tantrum. Is that your advice? No,
3: <laughs> no. Um, and it's something I've had to do with myself, especially, and with some of the other girls at the barn. Best practice, when you get off your horse, no matter how upset you are with your ride, think of your three favorite parts of your ride and think of those first. It will definitely change your perception on any ride. So, like, yeah, at this first show, I almost completely reined over the side of the dressage arena because my horse was really leaning in because I didn't warm him up properly. But you know what I thought about? That trot circle to the right, his perfectly square halt, the fact that he did not once like take the bit and run or buck or spook at anything. And this was his second time off the property. Yep. If you, you know, if you really focus on all of that, you'll start to find yourself, um, a- having better rides and having a better time and b also being able to notice those things in your friends and other people when they're not noticing them in the, in themselves yep and I and-
1: I kind of do a, a similar thing but on a different strategy I try to remind myself that well two things a if I'm I could be having the worst time at a horse show but the fact that I can still afford to horse show. And the fact that I can afford to own a horse, um, it's more than Carly Fedorka, circa eight years ago would have ever dreamed of. But even more importantly, like I went to a combined test last weekend and I had a terrible dressage test. And then we had a, you know, a double clean in the prelim stadium. And Uh I left that ring and just had to think to myself, 15 year old Carly would have been so pumped to go prelim. Yeah. And and that then means that there's probably a ton of 12 and 13 year old girls that are like foaming at that, you know, at the mouth for that chance to jump a three, six fence, you know, yep. they're foaming at the mouth to jump a three foot fence. So oh my God. no matter, are you kidding? yeah. You know, like in the, in the, in the life of relativity, you're doing yeah. something that somebody else is dreaming of. Now it sucks because in my world, I'm foaming at the mouth when I go to Land Rover, <laughs> you know, right. and I'm like, but God damn it, just give me one of those horses. I will stay on, I promise. But on the flip <laughs> side of that, you know, there's so many kids doing up-down lessons yep. that are looking to people like us as yep. this emblem of what could happen. So yep. it's just, it keeps it into perspective. And I think it's so important, but if you don't have that perspective, it's so easy to sink into like that jealousy trap.
3: I mean, I'm just really excited that I have a horse for the first time in my life that I'm like, let's raise the jumps up. We yeah. don't have to stay at cross rails. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: and the, I was even thinking about that. Cause I'm definitely in a funk in my riding on Mac where we've been at training level for God, four years now. And it's like, am I ever going to get to prelim? But then I jump, you know, around, around stadium at three, six, and it feels like nothing. And that's like, okay, like we have made improvement. It's just not on our record. Like you just have to look at the day-to-day minutiae and the improvement on all those days to realize
3: like what improvement you've made overall. Oh my God. Two years, my confidence was so bad. Anytime I saw a vertical, I was like, I don't think I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's me with corners
1: right now. (laughs) I made myself jump one this morning, and it, like, wasn't even a real corner. It was basically just a table, and I was like, ugh, I don't think I want to. And my trainer was like, oh, there's a corner. Carly's probably scared of it. We're going to make her jump it. And I was like, damn (laughs) it. Just why did she have to see that fence over there?
3: And I think for me, that's another nod to Holly, too, and her confidence. Like, I trust her so much. When I see her put the jumps up, I know she's doing it because she knows that Calvin and I are going to be successful. Yep. You know, I think, I think that's really helped. Um, Something I just wanted to talk about briefly, because I know that I chatter too much and we'll probably run too long. Um, We talked about, um, you talked a little bit about how we met at the makeover. And I just wanted to touch on how important that the retired racehorse project and the whole entire family that I've met from there has played such a big role in me being able to do that you know, lift your sister routine. I know that I told you then, and I know I've said it since then, but the way that everyone there just accepts each other, like that's the environment. We come from all over the country in Canada, and we are all there for the same reason. And rather than, you know, people coming up to and be like, oh, I'm so much better than you. They're like, oh my God, your ride was amazing. Your horse does this, your horse does that. Oh my God. Um one of the now mind you, it was like my eighth canter time cantering Fletcher ever. Um when I was warming him up, um or when I was practicing one of the days before before the makeover last year. And I hear Jamie, one of the um, main volunteers, yell, Oh my God, that canter depart You know, like Just stuff like that that I had never really experienced anywhere else. The camaraderie and the the sense of family that everybody gives you there. You know, I feel like that's what really gave me the courage to start Lift Your Sister in the way that I did there. Yeah.
1: And I and I even wrote a story about that this year, about the fact that if you um, are doing the retired racehorse thoroughbred makeover with the idea of winning. I guess, what is it? $15,000 total. So if you won your division and then overall. So if you're doing it for that reason, you're just going to have your hope shot. Like it is, it is a numbers game and this is coming from somebody who won it. So like, I totally understand the idea of doing it for the money, but it's very hard to win one of those (laughs) divisions. There's a lot of people there, but more so if you're doing it not for that reason, but to have just another show, for a young horse that you're bringing along, but a show that's so unique and it's so different from the rest because of exactly what you just said, these thoroughbreds having only had at most 10 months of training really just standardize the playing field. Like there is no one person showing up with her $300,000 jumper. There is no one person showing up with her imported Irish sport horse. That's already gone to the four-star level. Like it is right. all everybody with the same struggles, same issues, and they're all there for a very similar reason. There's definitely people yep. there that are out to win. We'll never, that will never not happen. And good luck to them. I've yet to see one of those people actually win. But at the same time, <laughs> right. though, if you just that, it's such a fun event because it's almost an entire week long at this point, but it's really yep. just a bunch of people, men and women alike, having a blast and having a blast with their horses which is what horse showing was meant to be you know yep it was never yep. supposed to be about $3 ribbons like it was right. about like street cred and hanging out with your friends
3: and learning all of the different things you know like i had the fortune of you know, trailering down with Kristen Kovach Bentley and Jobber Bill, who, you know, are Western yep. and they are, are. she's a ranch rider, like through and through, he actually works cows, you know, that's his job, um, you know, and I've gotten to learn so much more about, you know, different styles and, and sorting cows and, you know, different things in, in ranch riding and trail riding and stuff that I never knew before you know, you really get to expand your horizons with people there, um, and learn so many different things from so many different backgrounds. You know, there are people there that drive and there are people there that do Western dressage and there are people like, I mean, take Maynard for his, his like Liberty work is incredible, you know? Yeah.
1: And I still stand by the fact that my, like, that's literally my new favorite day of the year is just going and getting, a Bloody Mary or two and sitting inside of the covered arena for the freestyles. Cause that's yes. where you really see what every horse is capable of, which is probably yeah. why I was like semi intoxicated when I interviewed you last year. It's totally <laughs> yes. normal. Well, we actually have to wrap this up, but I'm sure we'll end up talking to you again. Once we get closer to the makeover to, to hear about how your pony is coming along and I'm sure it's going to go fabulously. I know that you're say you're in a slump now, but I have, I have every ounce of faith in you that you're going to get it together and do just fine in October.
3: But Thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I'm just looking forward to going on yet another horse that really doesn't care, that is not bothered by anything and that I can just go ride around the Kentucky horse park. Yeah,
1: hell yeah. That's literally the only goal that anybody should have for that show. Um, yep. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was such a joy talking to you and I'm sure we'll catch up soon.
3: Thank you for having me. Take care.